Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. The following message is part of our series called The Jesus Agenda, where we are looking at not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, church. Please take a seat. The worship is phenomenal this morning. Over the last month, we've been on a theme of what did Jesus do? And this morning's message is about Jesus, the everyday bloke. Now, this has been an interesting message to prepare because whenever you think of Jesus, you can't put him in the class of everyday or ordinary. So I thought it'd be best if I put it into another context, and that is fulfilling destiny. And that is the title for today's message. Every day, Jesus fulfilled the destiny that God placed on his life. Now, if you're expecting some theological teaching or the presentation of a thesis on the everyday Jesus to answer the question of what did Jesus do, then I encourage you to sit up front when our brother Innocent is preaching next. God has given him the gift of teaching by the truckload. This message has really hit home. If I get loud and animated, it's because I'm picturing myself giving me a preach. You see, my God made me a promise, and it won't stop now. I'd like to declare the word of the Lord over this, um, this morning's uh, message. In Romans 8, 38 to 39, we read, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky, above, in the, above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The year was 1983, and I had the world at my feet. I was popular at primary school, well, I thought I was. I was playing soccer, skateboarding, and boy, did I get into mischief. I was a constant distraction in class. So much so, my teacher once put a corrugated cardboard wall around my desk so I wouldn't distract the other class members. One Saturday, I was invited to my friend's house, and it was the first time I'd played at his house. Up the road was a quarry and we rode our bikes up there and did what kids did. We threw rocks and sticks at anything that moved. Another school friend showed up and he climbed up this slope and started rolling down what seemed to be giant boulders at the time. My friend and I sorted higher ground and the problem I had was once I got there, I couldn't get back down. I was stuck on a ledge with nowhere to go. An old lady came across the road to tell us off, which I replied, I'm stuck, I can't get down. Within the hour, there was police, ambulance, search and rescue, SES, TV cameras, radio stations, journalists, the Mercury newspaper, and a vast crowd of onlookers. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to my mother, she turned up at my friend's place to take me for a haircut. My friend's mother answered the door and said, Helen, I don't know how to tell you this, but Tim is stuck on a cliff ledge up the road 
and I have to take you up there now. They got me down unscathed and I still managed to get my hair cut and five minutes of fame. In Luke 2, 41 to 48, we read where Jesus stayed behind at the temple and he hadn't bothered to ask his parents. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travellers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Now any parent who has temporarily lost a child while they're out and about can totally relate to Mary when she couldn't find Jesus. God's desire for every one of us is to be in a relationship with him. Sadly, due to the sinful nature of man, we are all born into sin and therefore we are lost to God. God sent his precious son, Jesus Christ, to not only come and look for us, but to save us from sin and return us to his Father in heaven. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because those that do, he says, he will open the door for, to find what they've been seeking and receive what they've been asking. And that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ to wash away every sin and make us whole in the eyes of the Lord. I love the story of Martha in the Bible as it's so relatable. Luke 10, 38 to 42, we read, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I can relate to sitting on the couch and not doing any work. Just ask my wife. God has blessed me with a wonderful gift, and that is that I can be in a room full of people and I can be a million miles away. I switch off, and there are times where my wife will be talking to me, and when she's finished, she'll ask me a question, which I haven't heard, and then she'll say, Tim, what did I just say? And I'll have no idea. Gets me in trouble. Jesus was more about being present when with someone and not being mentally a million miles away or being worried about the small things when you may miss what God is doing. As a Connect Group leader and any of the wonderful Connect Group leaders here today can relate to, we can get caught up in the when and where and we may miss the why we are doing it. Jesus was like a celebrity. Everyone wanted to see him and speak to him 
And all throughout the gospel, it tells time after time that he was present when with people because he knew that that was the time that they would choose their destiny by accepting him or not. We need to be present when with people to share the love of Christ. For the first 13 years of my life, I had the most amazing best friend you could ever have, my grandfather, Bobber. He was the most amazing man and role model for me. He was my hero. We only lived three doors down from my grandparents, so we spent a lot of time there. An average week for me with him would entail anything from feeding the fowls, that's chickens, picking blackberries along Proctor's Road, holding open manure sacks so he could shovel it in, playing football in the no-ball sports area of the botanical gardens, <laughs> picking apples at Grove. I could talk to you about him for hours. He was my mate. And what about Jesus, mates? The story that gets spoken about the most when it comes to, to the disciples, his mates, is the story of Peter. And how did Jesus cope with that? The man whom Jesus will build the church on. The man who said to Jesus, I will die for you, I'll never deny you. He goes on to deny knowing Jesus three times before the dawn of the next day that he said so. And this is where it gets hard to relate to Jesus. Because Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus showed great compassion to him. Jesus dealt with Peter in the exact same way that he deals with our shortcomings and our shame. Do we do the same to those that have denied knowing us? Those that have turned their backs on us when we needed them the most? I mean, this is the beating heart of Christianity. To forgive no matter how hard it is. To show compassion in the face of great adversity and to release the perpetrator from their guilt so they can walk away with a taste of what it is to have Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. The more we walk with him, the more we become like him. The longer the walk, the more we can relate to what he did here on earth. While in my school days I did everything to avoid studying and homework, my creative space has always been working with my hands. I've managed to renovate two homes, been the owner-builder on a house extension that is still standing seven years later. And of course, being Greek, I love concreting. <laughs> Do you know it's actually cheaper to concrete than maintain lawn? Just put a green dye on the concrete and you never have to waste money on mowers, petrol and water again. Amen? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any chippies in the house? A few. Well, you'd be pleased to know that Jesus was a chippy before he started his ministry. And no doubt he would have been the perfect worker. No sick days, no sleep-ins, no showing up to work hungover. Imagine being his earthly father, Joseph, and you've hit your thumb with a hammer. Jesus would have just walked over and touched it and instantly the swelling and bruising would have been gone. Jesus was sent to earth to fulfil the destiny that God had ordained for him. It was his job. John 4, 31-38 we read, then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, Don't worry about me. I've eaten a meal you don't know about. Puzzled by this, the disciples began to discuss among themselves 
Did someone already bring him food? Where did he get his meal? Then Jesus spoke up and said, My food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is the harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the seed and another reaps the harvest. I've sent you out to harvest a field that you haven't planted, where many others have laboured long and hard before you. And now you are privileged to profit from their labours and reap their harvest. I love it when God uses the most unlikely people to fulfil their share of the Great Commission. The Apostle Paul persecuted the early Christians before God confronted him on the road to Damascus. God changed his name to Paul because he didn't want him to identify with his old self. And how about the disciple Matthew? He was a tax collector a position that the Jews despised. Jesus knew that Matthew would be able to relate to society's outcasts because he was one. What society looked upon as losers, Jesus saw the champion for God within. When that champion is forgiven and set free, it is then that they realise the destiny that God has placed in their lives and the good works that they will do to fulfil it. One such champion was the travelling evangelist, Reverend Mordecai Ham. In May 1934, he travelled to Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, and held a revival meeting. A 16-year-old boy stepped forward and prayed the salvation prayer. 83 years later, and over 400 crusades across six continents in 185 countries, reaching over 215 million people, the late Billy Graham was promoted to glory where he will ever be with the Lord. Jesus fulfilled his destiny and by his example he calls us to fulfill ours. God sent Jesus to turn religion on its head. God wanted to be in direct relationship with us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was spreading this message, at just about every turn, the Pharisees were there to try and trick him, as they wanted the Lord to be followed and not Jesus. And I can't even begin to imagine how frustrated he must have gotten at times, but he not only gave it back, but he also highlighted their shortcomings. In Mark 12:38 to 44, we read from the Passion Translation. Jesus also taught the people, Beware of the religious scholars. They love to parade around in their clergy robes and be greeted with respect on the street. They crave to be made the leaders of synagogue councils and they push their way to the head table at banquets. For appearance's sake, they will pray long religious prayers at the homes of widows for an offering, cheating them out of the very livelihood. Beware of them all, for they will one day be stripped of honour and their judgment they receive will be severe. Then he sat down near the offering box watching all the people dropping in their coins. Many of the rich would put in very large sums, but a destitute widow walked up and dropped in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. Jesus called his disciples to gather around and then he said to them, 
I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given a larger offering than any of the wealthy. For the rich only gave out of their surplus, but she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave to God all that she had to live on, which was everything she had. She gave God all that she had. The Pharisees were more interested in titles and worth from their work. The woman gave everything. The Pharisees only gave some and only gave in front of others to look good. What example are we setting to our families and our friends when we check in at church every Sunday but we may not check our hearts in as well? A few months ago in a Connect Group study we watched a clip from Stephen Furtick and in it he was saying that there are people who will go to church their whole life and not allow God to change them. They have their life the way they want it and they don't want that to change. What are we doing? What are we dying to to know the cost in following Christ? What experiences are we sharing with non-believers so they can make a decision? One of the reasons why Jesus told so many parables is because he wanted people to relate to them and then to articulate his message. So they are in a position to make a decision to accept him as Lord and Saviour. If we're going to talk the talk, we must walk the walk with great integrity, courage and have the courage to act on it. I've got friends who their parents have spent their whole life in church with God in a box. And guess what? One doesn't go to church at all and the other has God in a box too. Jesus wants us to be the real deal. He doesn't care what car we drive, what postcode we come from, what we do for a job, if we have a criminal record or not, what volunteering we do here at church, whether you sit in the front row or the back row. He wants us to be like the poor woman who gave her heart. He wants our whole heart for him because he gave his whole heart for us. He wants our worth to come from the cross Because on it he declared that no matter how broken we are, there will always be a place in heaven for those that believe in his resurrection. He doesn't want us to be like the Pharisees and see our worth in religion, titles, money and possessions. Because he knows that will always fail. Jesus as a man here on earth wanted everyone to reach their potential in God. That's why he was so passionate about people moving forward in their lives after being released from their sins and sickness, to go and sin no more. Thanks, Jonathan. Was Jesus ever fearful? The answer is yes. Yes, he was. And one such time is also one of my most favourite verses in the Bible. And I use it often because it's a great encouragement to anyone who feels like they are worthless. In John 12, 27, the Passion Translation. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial, for I have come to fulfil my purpose, to offer myself to God. Jesus came to fulfil his purpose, which was us. Now we must fulfil our purpose, which is him. 
And how are we going about it? Men, we are the spiritual heads of our house. If we don't lead our families, their friends will. Social media will. Computer games will. Alcohol will. Drugs will. So-called free love will. Social isolation will. Are we fulfilling the destiny that God set out for us as the spiritual heads of our house by not acting for our families? Have we ever thought that the stiff upper lip we continue to push as a way to be a man, what effect that has on our children? What happens when God has spoken to us in the service but we don't come out the front for prayer for fear we may look weak? Parents, have we ever thought that the teaching of giving God our best and why it may not be gaining traction with our kids is because we aren't giving God our best? How do we expect our children to read the Bible every day if we aren't doing it ourselves? How do we expect our children to go to God in prayer with their fears if we're not doing it ourselves? There are more and more stories coming out every day about parents who are losing the battle with their kids' addiction to electronic devices. One such recent story was about a child who hadn't been to school in two years because of his addiction to computer games. Just so as you know, I have four children, two girls, two boys, so I'm speaking from experience. Parents, we are not fulfilling God's destiny for raising our kids in his kingdom by not getting our hands dirty, by not paying the price. (sighs) Raising children is a tough job. And at times it can be physically and mentally exhausting. And we may have found a quick fix by allowing them access to social media and online gaming, but what's the cost? What's the cost? (sighs) This iPad... It's not a babysitter. It's not a disciple leading your kids to him. It's not a disciple of Jesus leading your kids to him. It's not a counsellor. Don't get me wrong. Social media serves a purpose to some degree, but it will never give you a hug. It will never put your arm around you and gauge your body language to see if you're okay. The greatest thing we can do as parents to fulfill our destiny on parenting is to give our life to Jesus Christ and read the Word of God every day and have it transform your lives. (laughs) The very thought of taking on the battle is exhausting in itself. But guess what? When you're at the door of your child's room and the battle seems too much to bear, I'm reminded of that wonderful verse in the Bible, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's better for us to take on the battle and suffer some scars and win their souls for Christ than to never wage the war. The wonderful thing about scars is that Jesus had them too. 
But thanks to his victory on the cross, they have no hold over us when we put our faith in him. Next year, I will be fulfilling a destiny on my life that will be 46 years in the making. My father and I will be going to Greece where for the first time I will meet his family. It will be an emotional, heartwarming homecoming where I can't wait to hug my aunties and cousins for the first time. What about our homecoming with Jesus? That's our destiny. That's what he calls us for. It's my privilege today to answer the question of what did Jesus do? Because in it we find the destiny that God has placed on our lives. Jesus gave his life for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. He died the most cruelest of deaths on the cross for all mankind. In the days between his death and resurrection, he went down to hell and took the keys of death and Hades because Satan was no longer in charge of them. On the third day, he was raised from the dead by God the Father. He raised up disciples who would build his church. He will come again in all his glory to rapture his church where we will be with him forever and his amazing grace. Save the wretch like me. Thank you, Lord. Can everyone please bow their heads and close their eyes? Thank you, Jesus. You may have come here today with a preconceived idea of who Jesus is. And maybe that was a good man, a historical figure, but nothing more. But during this message, God has revealed Jesus to you and that he is the Son of God. You may never realise that God has placed a destiny on your life from birth. And that is a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. If this message has answered those questions about what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that is he died on it and was raised from the dead three days later so that you may have eternal life with him. And coming to that realisation, you would like to accept him as your Lord and Saviour. Then I'm going to ask you to be really brave and raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it and then you can put it down. Is there anyone here today that would like to do that? Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand, thank you. Don't waste another day. Jesus is standing at the door waiting for you to knock. Thank you, Lord. All throughout the word of God are promises of his love and forgiveness. For those of us here that already know Jesus and this message has spoken to you about an area in your life where you aren't fulfilling God's destiny. Maybe it is parenting. Maybe you're one of those kids that is fulfilling the world's destiny on your life and not God's. Maybe you're struggling with where you fit in the world. Well, the good news I have for you today is that God knows exactly where you fit and that is in his kingdom. Thank you for listening. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3h.life.